Hey listeners, just a heads up. The scoring of Pastor Swab's exam has been edited out for time convenience. You can find what you need at dominioncovenantchurch.com. Proverbs chapter 3, and I'll read verses 1 through 12. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, and so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh, and strength to your bones. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father the son in whom he delights. Let's pray. Father, thank you. We thank you for your presence with us, and we pray that your Holy Spirit would awaken our hearts, our minds, to uh, delve deeply into the meaning of this, and we pray, Lord, that we would be uh, changed by the power of your Holy Spirit, uh, conformed into the image of your Son. We ask you now to be with us in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The title of the message is Spiritual Health Exam. And if you've had a chance to look at your handout, the insert in your bulletin, you'll see that there is this page that kind of outlines what I just read. But then there is also a spiritual health exam that we will collectively take later in the service. So please don't write on it now. If you have written on it, I have other copies that we'll hand out later. And if you don't have anything to write with, we'll also have that later. But for now, we can just enjoy the message. I'll try to have that be a little bit more brief because taking the exam will take us a few minutes. All right. I'd like to first read the six questions, though, that will be part of the exam because that also structures the message. This 12-verse portion of the text it is it does appear in couplets and so you have two verses two verses two verses six times and so there are six questions six tests that we ask ourselves first do you treasure God's commands second do you value truth and practice mercy three do you openly trust and acknowledge God and his word four do you regard your own wisdom as ultimate. Five, do you tithe consistently and share generously? And six, do you despise or detest God's correction? I have shared this, I'm sure, once or twice, but uh, at my work, we have a phrase that did not originate with us, but it's a phrase that we certainly embrace in doing our work, and the phrase is, What gets measured gets managed. And so that's the purpose of this sermon. That's the purpose of the test that we'll take later. It's to try and objectively measure where we each are spiritually. And so we'll see if we are successful at that. Now, as I said, please don't take the exam. You can go ahead, feel free to review it if you want. But also, uh, that's why I left you all the space in the front so you could take notes during during the message. This portion of text, these 12 verses, contain some do's and some don'ts. Do, do this, don't do that. It contains do, nine, and don't, seven. Now, we can't get too wrapped around the axle, though, on the ratio of the do's and the don'ts because some of the most famous portions of Scripture have a lot more don'ts than do's, the Ten Commandments. 
At most, it has three do's and seven don'ts, and really, you could argue that it has two do's and eight don'ts. So both are valuable. Both are to instruct us. Both are helpful. Let's not get too worried about uh, always wanting to accentuate the positive uh, like some popular preachers out there. We have to bring the word to bear on our lives and on the lives of those that we love and care about, as well as our society. Now, as you can see from the outline here, you have the do's in green, the don'ts in red, and you have these results, which are these blessings. And so you have many blessings listed here. Uh, of the first five couplets, you have five blessings. And so we'll talk about those two. Those will be integrated in. But, so let's get started. We want to talk about the first two verses, and let me reread them. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and long life and peace, they will add to you. Do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. Do you note the words that oppose one another here, that are contrasted? What are they? Don't forget, instead keep. So forget and keep are opposites. So now, if you're tempted to think, as many would, when you hear the phrase, keep my commands, it sounds like obedience, right? In a naive reading, you would think, yeah, that means that I'm supposed to obey. Keep the commands, maintain the commands. But no, not in the context. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. Keep here means to treasure, to cherish, to hold dear, to have a high regard for. Now, obedience can be a part of that, but it's so much more than obedience. Our hearts are our own personal safes that we choose to reveal the contents of to others or not. Where is this? Let your heart keep my commands. So this law that Solomon is speaking of, and we know it's not his law, it's God's law. This law that he's speaking of is to be treasured in each of our personal safes. That's where God's law should be. It should be cherished and treasured in our hearts. When I was young, and I still have it, but when I was young I had this box that my father gave me. Now this was not a an expensive box. This was not even a nice box. I think at one time it may have held cigars that had been encased in tubes. But so this box, though, is pretty handy. It, it pops open and it pops shut. It has neat hinges on it. So as a child, I would put my mementos in that box. Now, you could take the poorest urchin on the garbage dumps outside of Mexico City and have him find my little box of treasures, and he would open it up, he would rummage around, he would dump it all out, and he would maybe keep the box, because it is a helpful, handy box. But it's not valuable either, nor are the treasures that I have stored in that box. I have a lighter that I had given to me. I forget even who gave it to me, but they had my name engraved on it, and it was one of my brothers, I believe, gave me this, this gold-plated cheap lighter when I was a teenager. We were all smokers in my family. I still have that lighter in that box, I think. I have a weird crocheted blue octopus that has this odd face pasted onto the head that I found my mom giving away We're all going to cheer up today. It's a three for today. We're betting a hundred or a thousand, I guess it is. Um, but my mom had it in a giveaway pile, and it was something that my sister had made at a hospital. My sister had died. So I was upset. I was upset with her for having thrown it away. 
But my mom was like that. She threw everything away. I went off to the service and I didn't return and she threw all my stuff away. I mean, it's just she had no sentimental, nostalgic aspect or view of my life or her life or anybody's life, I guess. Uh, there were a few things, of course, that I, mean, I guess she had her own box. But uh, yet that's in my box. I have an old cap in my box, you know, like a, just a screw-off cap off of a jar. I don't even know where it came from, but I know it's from my youth, and I know at one time I regarded it as precious. So it's in that stupid box. And I don't know, I can't throw it away, because one day, maybe when I'm old, I'll remember. I don't know. <laughs> if I threw it away now, I, I'd probably never know that it was even in there. But I just can't throw it away now, because it was in the box. And special stuff goes in the box. So now, that is your heart. That is your heart. It's that box. It contains this stuff that you hold dear. So is that, for you, where the Word of God is? Is it in your heart? What are the blessings that we have from keeping the Word of God in our heart? Long life and peace. We get long life and peace. Now, I don't know if everybody's like me. I don't know. But uh, I think there's enough similarity amongst all of us that yet a lot of, a lot of these uh, things that I share might connect, at least with some of you. And Sometimes I just wonder if I want long life. I, I, you know, I am anxious to get to heaven. We are in the mudroom of heaven now. We've come in through the door. We're all muddy. We're still all messy. I want to get past the mudroom into the mansion that awaits. And yet, if I want that so bad that I become useless to God on this earth, then I'm not doing what it is I ought to be doing. And so when I find myself not wishing for long life, not really wanting to be a good, faithful, loyal, obedient, productive servant on the earth for the Lord, then I am rebuked. We should want that, if not for our sake, for the Lord's sake. And peace. Now, is this peace as the world defines peace? Absolutely not. Because Jesus said, in the world you shall have tribulation. And this conference recently in Des Moines was evidence of that. We will have tribulation in the world. But yet the peace that is spoken of here is that peace of God. Peace with God and peace in all of our circumstances on this earth because we are at peace with God. These are things that we want. These are things that we should value. That's why you must have the Word of God treasured in your heart. Because else, you don't get these blessings. Or at least they might not be as evident in your life as you want them to be. So now question two. Do you value truth and practice mercy? And let's read verses three and four. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, and so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Note at the beginning of what I'd read, let not mercy and truth forsake you. Isn't that odd? You would think that it would be easier for him to say, don't forsake mercy and truth. The way he's phrased it, it's almost as if mercy and truth want to forsake you. He's using anthropomorphism. He's giving these character attributes a, a, re, a being, and he's saying, they do want to leave you. They do want to forsake you because it's unnatural to love the truth and to exercise mercy like God wants us to love the truth and to exercise mercy. So see, we always have to be warring against our own fleshly nature in order to abandon truth. Why would we abandon truth? What's the purpose? 
to make ourselves better somehow, to gain personally, to not be embarrassed, to get more money, to be, have people think more highly of us. That's why we lie. We always lie to make ourselves look better. And we tell partial truths when we don't want people to know the whole truths because it would make us otherwise look bad. We're more than willing to tell the whole truth about somebody else that makes them look bad because, by contrast, then it makes us look better. We are always doing this. It's just so natural for us to fall into that trap. Resist it. Bind them about your neck. Bind mercy and truth about your neck. Now, what do we bind about our neck? Do we find a rusty washer in the parking lot out here and put it around our neck? Maybe Toby does. I don't know. Toby's odd. <laughs> Claire's going to straighten him out someday, though. Most of us don't do that, though. What do you put around your neck? Think of stuff that goes around your neck. A locket, a necklace, a beautiful necklace, something beautiful, something valuable, something precious, like in Lord of the Rings, that ring goes around the neck. Why? Safety, safekeeping. If it's around my neck, you're not going to get it off so easily. Although in movies, they can always just go, <laughs> don't believe it. They just don't want to show that person getting tugged around by having to have that thing pulled off and go through the hassle. Oh, it's tangled in your hair. <laughs> so in the movies, it has to pop off that easily. But so see, that's what we put around our necks, the stuff that is most dear to us. So that's what we are to put around our necks, mercy and truth. Why? Because then it's never far from us. It's right here. It's what I hold dear in all this earth. What will you get for having done this? And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. That's what you get. And notice, you get favor and high esteem not only from God, but also from man. Because see, we are made in God's image, even as fallen creatures, even the unbelievers out there will have higher regard for you when you are not trumpeting your own wonders, when you are showing mercy to those. We are so harsh against others. I am. I, I already took my test. I, I wrote my test. It's biased, believe me. I did pretty well on it because I just naturally want to make myself do well on a test. And so I'm finding myself skewing the answers or the questions. And I'm like, no, I really want to make that one better, you know, more truthful. But it's hard when you're going to grade yourself on something. But I am poor at this section. I'm practically below zero in this section. It's just not something that I've worked at. And so you must work at these things in order to get better at them, in order to improve that exam score. Do you openly trust and acknowledge God in his word? Verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. So, your own understanding here is obviously not an understanding that is consistent with the Bible's truth. Do not trust, lean not on your own understanding. And so now, we all have to have our own understanding. Hopefully, to a great extent, our understanding is consistent with the Bible. But here, he's specifically pointing out where you already know that a piece of your understanding is inconsistent with the Bible, yet you're choosing to keep it. You've tucked it into your heart because you don't want to give it up. You want to be in this way in disagreement with God and his word. You're choosing it. It's your choice. But that is what Solomon is saying. No, you must not do that. You can't allow your own understanding, your own heart's desires to trump what God has told you you ought to value. We are to trust God and we are to acknowledge him. The first part of verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean on, on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. So now, trust 
and acknowledge are these two things. They're two sides of the same coin. But how do you do them? How do you trust? How do you acknowledge? Look at your sheet. Find trust in the Lord and acknowledge God in everything. Next to trust in the Lord, I have that as an inward attribute. Others might not know that I'm trusting in the Lord. It's not evident to them that I'm trusting in the Lord. But if I acknowledge God in everything, that is outward. I have to do that outwardly. People will see that. People will then know that I serve the Lord. Trust in the Lord inward. Acknowledge God in everything outward. Bind mercy and truth. Look above it. Bind mercy and truth around your neck. Outward. People see it. Write mercy and truth on the heart, inward. Seven, fear the Lord, inward in many respects. Depart from evil, outward in many respects, because now it's affecting your actions. So see, that's the way Solomon is writing this. He's hitting both at the same time. Boom, 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 boom. Inward, outward, inward, outward. What you are inside will reflect on your exterior. You want it to if you're consistent with the Lord. So too often, we are treasuring stuff in our heart that is reflecting poorly on us if we let people see it. And so what do we do? We pretend. I don't want them to see that aspect of my character. I don't want to be that embarrassingly honest in how often I sin or fail the Lord. But these are two sides of the same coin. It's going to happen. Trust and acknowledge. Trust and acknowledge. What you choose will be reflected by what you do, and you can't hide it. If people come to stay in your home, they'll see it. You might want to hide it, but they'll see it. It's just the way things work. When I was uh, in the service, in the, I came to Christ in the service, and while still in, of course, when you're young and on fire for the Lord, you, you do silly things. And this one wasn't so silly, but I, back then we didn't have social media. We didn't have the internet. And so communicating with people had to be done face to face, sadly. And so I was kind of on Christian junk mail list by this time because I'd hit the bookstores and somehow they found out about me. And so I'm getting this junk mail. And one of the junk mails was for pens that you could purchase and put a logo on the side or a phrase. And so I chose this. It's 2 Timothy 2.12. And uh, Phil kind of alluded to it earlier. If we deny him, he also will deny us. So 2 Timothy 2.12, if we deny him, he also will deny us. And I ordered like 50 or 100 of these pens. I forget how many. And they, they were kind of like pencils. They were, they were six-sided and, and they were kind of cool. They were long. You could roll them and then, of course, they go... Well... I don't have 50 or 100 people that I know that I want to go give these pens to. And so I had this box full of them. And they're like this, this bane of my existence for several weeks. Because I'm like, how am I going to get rid of these pens? Because each one is potentially a conflict, right? Each one is potentially an embarrassing situation. Want a pen? Yeah. You know, throw them at people. Uh, we had actually elderly women in the area that would do what were called gospel bombs, and they would take things like my pens, and wrap scripture verses around them and then throw them into people's windows that were left open in their cars. And this was, this was California. And, and so, you know, windows were left a little bit open out there for the heat. And, you, you know, it never rains, as the song says, and so you never had to worry about that. But so they would do that. And, uh, and I thought, well, maybe I can do that. And I thought, well, that's a chicken thing to do, isn't it? And so I, I don't know where the pens went. I probably threw them out eventually like my mom did. But yet, I know I handed out maybe five. I don't know. It's just, I, now they didn't write well. And so I had that to justify my not giving them away. <laughs> you know, you want to give good gifts to people, not junk. And so, but of course, I didn't write back for better pens. Oh, no, no. I was, I dodged that bullet. I escaped with my pride, and I didn't have to go into all those conflicts with all those potential people. But so, openly, openly, acknowledging God in his word. How can we do it? Uh, about a month ago, I posted, uh, I forget who had posted the uh, Second Amendment stuff, but I 
read the report, and I'm like, oh, this is good stuff. And so I'm cutting snippets of that out, and I'm posting it out to all these poor people that are my friend on Facebook. And many of them are liberal friends, coworkers. And so I specifically, and I shouldn't have done it, but I specifically called out two of my former coworkers, because you don't want to call out your existing coworkers. So I called out my former coworkers and said, what do you think about this? And so one is a believer, blatant unbeliever. One is a believer. So unbeliever, believer. And so the unbeliever, I knew where he would go with it. But, but the believer uh, wrote back, as I knew he would, you know, well, it's not about, you know, uh, we want to restrict access to those that ought not have it and all this. And he, and he said, I don't think any Christian should own a gun. And I'm like, ooh. And so I went to the Bible and got the verse where Jesus said, go get your swords. And I posted that back. And I said, no, no, Jesus wants us to have guns or at least swords. You know, and I think by, you know, contrast, it's guns are okay. And I could tell I stumped him. And so he took a few hours and finally he responded. He's like, well, I don't know what is meant by that text. What's the next word? But. And I knew then he was abandoning scripture. I don't know what Jesus could have meant by that text, but... And I knew where he was going, but no Christian. And, and so I thought, well, okay, you know, he's a liberal former coworker. I can understand his perspective. And I let him go. And I thought I probably shouldn't have called him out on this anyway. But yet, that is what I think part of openly acknowledging God is. Now, I'm not advocating go picking fights with people. I, I, I do it sometimes, and, and I usually don't feel very good about it afterwards. You want, though, you want, though, to be prepared to defend God in the public realm. You will not win every battle. Early in your faith, you'll lose miserably. You're left dead on the ground. But it motivates you to do better next time. It motivates you to study more, to be more comfortable, to know what you can concede on and what you can never concede on. That's what you learn early on as, you know, when you're embracing your faith and you're on fire for the Lord. That's what you want to do. And what is the blessing of this portion? He promises uh, to direct us on the path. In other words, we will not get lost. God himself will direct us if we openly acknowledge him, if we trust him. Verses 7 and 8. Do you regard your own wisdom as ultimate? Do not be wise in your own eyes, Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Let me read this phrase. We must evaluate our beliefs by the word of God. We must evaluate our beliefs by the word of God. Now, let me read it as many interpret it. We must evaluate the word of God by our beliefs. Now, if you're not a Christian, you ought not do the second. You ought to do the former. And yet so often, all of us can fall victim to this. We can evaluate the Word of God based on our beliefs as opposed to allowing the Word of God to direct our beliefs, inform our beliefs, have us conform to Him. It's very tempting for us to do that. And then we have to distinguish between what we know God's Word to say and what we believe can be interpolated from God's Word. All of us have to do that. And so we make inferences based on what we've read. We have whole theories of how the Bible fits together. That's why we have these systematic theologies. And yet you always have to be prepared to admit your ignorance when you're carrying your inferences off so far that it gets to some point where you know it conflicts with a simple scriptural truth. And then you have to just admit, well, my system breaks at this point. Don't in pride cling to your system, and abandon the Word of God. That's wrong. I better skip on faster. Let's go to the last question, or the fifth question, I'm sorry. Do you tithe consistently and share generously? Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. So, we are to honor God with our possessions. Now, we do that, obviously, by giving Him credit for the fact that we have them to begin with. 
Yes, we're involved in it. Yes, we're involved in working and going to school and doing all these things. And so we then have an income, perhaps, that might be far greater than other people that we know, other people that we like, other people that we're friends with. But who gave you that income? It's not your own efforts. We exist in this world, this socioeconomic environment that God himself has set up. He's blessed us with it. And so if he's blessed you beyond what would be average for your community, then recognize that this is not just you, this is not just your right. No, this is God's blessing. And some people have it rough through no fault of their own. They have it rough, yet sometimes it can be through their fault. And that's where the mercy comes in. We're not always kind of rubbing people's noses in their past mistakes. We're not always lording it over them. We're looking past it. We're looking past it. I shared this once, it's been a few years, but I watched this movie and I was really, really shocked by this one scene. It just shocked my Christian sensibilities. This husband and wife are struggling. It's set, you know, like 50, 80 years ago and this, this young farm family is struggling to make ends meet, struggling to get this crop in. And the wife, they sit down for breakfast and the wife is the one, now it's saying grace at all, but yet it's the wife that attempts to say grace. And she begins by thanking Jesus for their, field, for their food, for their meal. And the husband just blasts out, why are you thanking Jesus? Thank me. I didn't see Jesus out in the field at 5 a.m. planting these crops and harvesting these crops. And I was like, woo, I was shocked. I was shocked by this in your face. It's all about me and not, nothing about God. But this guy obviously didn't have any regard for God. And yet his wife did. And he confronts her on it. He slams her on it. Yet, see, that happens every day in much, much more subtle ways. Let's not be guilty of it. That's not something Christians ought to even think about. And so we want to give God of our possessions. We want to give God the first fruits of our possession. We want to give God our tithe. God has required that, and we are failing if we do not do it. God blesses the faithful with abundance. We know, we know the, the, the verse that he will pour out, he will open heaven and pour out blessing on those that are faithful in this. Yet, this goes back to the previous one about trust. We have to trust God in order to take these steps of faith and do what's right with our goods, with our, with our money, when all that's within us is screaming out, no, 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 don't, don't, don't. This week's going to be really tight. This month is going to be really tight. I'm in, I'm in debt. I can't give up this money. It's my money. I want it. We can get clingy like that, can't we? Even though we're Christians, even though we know better. The last section. Do you despise or detest God's correction. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. Now, bad things happen in life. Bad things happen to all of us from time to time. Sometimes we realize we deserve it when these bad things happen to us. Sometimes we realize we deserve it. And yet, when rebuked by God in this way, can we cop an attitude toward God? Especially if someone other than your own conscience is attempting to point out that potentially what's happening is payback for having dishonored God in some way or having disobeyed God in some way. Because let me share one of the rationalizations that I've gone through a few times and I think some of you probably have. Something bad happens to you and you think to yourself, oh, that's ironic. This bad thing is happening to me now when just a few weeks ago I was talking about this or talking about that or committed some sin and yet your mind, your mind, without you wanting it to go there, has connected effect with cause. 
What do you say to you in your mind next, though? Oh, God possibly can't be that petty, can he? See, we've magnified God. God is way too powerful to bother with rebuking me in this trivial way, so therefore, this is unrelated. Then you can minimize it. Then you can disconnect it from what you did. Then you can say, I don't need to change anything about me. It's just bad stuff happens. We want to disconnect the bad stuff that happens to us from anything that we could have possibly done to bring it on. It's just natural. Fallen, but natural. So see, you need to avoid that. You want to do the opposite. Now, you don't want to go reading the tea leaves into everything that happens to you in your life. But when things happen, ask yourself, do I deserve this? Is there something I could have done to have avoided this? God wants you thinking that way. It's not wrong. He's not so high and mighty and powerful and distant from us that he isn't doing this for our good, correcting us in this way, pointing out the, the effect to the cause in your very own mind that you then try to suppress. You try to do away with it because that then would mean that you have to modify your decision-making. You have to modify your behavior, and you just don't want to do that. So now there are blessings, though, that come from obedience. There are blessings that come from treasuring God. And we give those up to the extent that we aren't heeding God's rebukes. What is the blessing that comes from this last one, though? I don't have it in blue on your sheet. I have it in purple. Why? Because, see, all these others are really earthly, physical, material blessings. But what is the blessing that we get from God rebuking us? He corrects those he loves just as the Father does the Son in whom he delights. We receive confirmation that we are loved. That purple one makes all the blue ones of much less value. The purple one is what you want. When you're breaking God's law with impunity, when you are essentially saying, God, I don't care what your word says. This is what I'm going to do. Deal with it. Oh, if you're a child of his, he will deal with it. He will bring you to kneel. If he loves you, that's what he's going to do. Now, a lot of us are called upon to spank our children when they're bad. We do that. Why? Because we love them. Now, we might be annoyed by them. People around you might want to spank your children because they're annoyed with them. You ought to spank them because you love them, right? It's kind of how it works. We're all annoyed by bad kids. Hopefully, we're more annoyed by our own children so that we'll deal with it in love. Because you can't forget that what you want is not just proper behavior. You want a proper heart. You don't just want the outward. You want the inward changed. That can't come just through enjoining uh, in negative sanctions against their bottom. It has to touch their heart. Spiritual maturity, I believe, comes to you when you not only know and sense God having disciplined you, but you welcome it when you realize it. You thank God for it because it's confirmation of his love for you. And yet you better take it seriously because it will come again and it will be dealt with. Okay, now, we have an exam to take and I've probably used up too much time. Does everybody have a sheet? All right. Now, as we, as we read the questions on the test, I just want to give you a little bit of commentary for each one before you answer. Uh, now, it might not affect your answer, but maybe in some circumstances it would. Everybody set? Everybody got a writing utensil? Everybody got a sheet of paper? Okay. 
Question one. Now, first, this is all under do you treasure God's commands. Now, two, these are just questions I came up with yesterday in about 90 minutes. They not, might not be perfect, like I said. They might not fit your circumstances specifically, but still, you know, something like this could be helpful. Have you ever memorized a hefty portion of Scripture, for example, a whole chapter or at least seven or more verses? What could also qualify, though, are like navigators where you memorize like 20 or 30 verses, you know, for this or this or this or this or a one and stuff like that. But if you've ever memorized chunks of Scripture, answer yes. And if not, obviously answer no. Just circle the yes or no. And we'll come back later and score them. Second question. In the past three years, have you read or listened through the entire Bible? Whole Bible. Anytime in the last three years. Reading or listening. If so, circle yes. If not, circle no. Now, some of these you might not know the answer to. You might not be precise. You can leave them blank. But if you pretty much think you know, go ahead and circle it. In the past two months, have you studied, memorized, or meditated upon a portion of Scripture? Now, you know what that means. It's not just casual reading. It means you had to come back to it over and over again. It's not just reading it once. It's actually meditating on it or studying it out. In the past month, have you read the Bible at least once per week outside of church? This doesn't count. So sometime apart from here during the week, did you read the Bible? And that's just four times over the last month, once each week at least. If, if yes, circle yes. Qu second question, do you value truth and practice mercy? In the past three years, when writing down your weight on a form, have you lied? Okay, and that, that one's kind of funny. But really, have you lied on a form for your own advantage? Now, we all might not tell the whole truth if we want to hide security fe features from some people. That's, that's just wise. But I'm saying, if it was to your advantage to lie on something in the last few years, just go ahead and say, yeah, you lied. Second question. In the past year, have you lied to someone to escape a difficult situation? So you've been in a situation where you intentionally lied to get out of it, to have it be deflected away from you, to not be caught out in something embarrassing. If so, then circle yes. In the past month, have you experienced more merciful thoughts than vengeful ones? Think about it. In the past month, have you found yourself fantasizing more about vengeance upon people than about extending mercy to people? The last question, do you regularly pray for a friend or a loved one who's not walking with God? And now again, this is consistently. This is not just once in a while thing. I'm saying this person is lost. You've known they've been lost for a long time, and you pray for them regularly, at least, at least every week. The third question, do you openly trust and acknowledge God and his word? In the past three years, have you participated in at least five debates concerning God and the Bible? Now, this is not with us. This is not amongst Christian friends. These are unbelievers. These are people that oppose Christianity. These are people that you are defending the word of God and the existence of God against. In the past year, have you defended the Bible or God from attack by an unbeliever? So this is specifically someone that's going after the Bible, denigrating it, and you come up to its defense. You voluntarily walk into that situation. It isn't like they came after you to do it. They just broadcast it out there, and you step up as a warrior to defend God and his word. In the past few months, have you quoted the Bible in conversation with a stranger or unbeliever? So do you use the Bible in your conversations with unbelievers? In the past month, have you posted a Bible text or quote to social media? Now, you might not be in social media, but reading news articles, posting comments on those, holding up a protest sign, wherever it is you might have had an opportunity to do this, have you done it any time in the past month? Fourth question, do you regard your own wisdom as ultimate? I probably shocked him with my hammering. Sorry about that, Jonathan. Do you regard your own wisdom as ultimate? Have you ever changed a cultural view or practice based on Bible study? And I'm talking about post-conversion because many of us at conversion change everything. It turns our world upside down. But I'm saying after you've had an opportunity to become solidified in the way you live your life, do you want to be bothered or do you bother to modify yourself based on what the Bible has to say? It could be about economics, privacy, immigration, about school, about Sabbath keeping, about gender roles, all of this stuff. Have you given up some view on that? In the past two years, have you researched the Bible in an area of cultural dispute affecting you? You don't want to take this test, huh, Bill? <laughs> Are you? 
Oh, you already, you're way ahead of me. I'm, I'm reading too slowly, aren't I? Okay, so now in this one, another believer may have challenged you concerning something, and you've risen to defense of it, or at least examination of the Bible's argument on it. Do you anchor possibly controversial personal beliefs or practices in biblical reasoning? Now, this could potentially involve human reasoning, but mostly it's from the Bible. Do you cite scripture for what you believe or what you oppose? The last one there, if criticized, do you typically defend yourself using biblical as opposed to human reason? So here, for instance, many that argue for gun rights might argue on the Second Amendment alone. I remember reading a whole book about that, and then at the end thinking, this guy probably isn't a Christian because he didn't even bring the Bible into it. It could be about marriage as traditional as opposed to biblical, or creationism as uh, intelligent design where you more or less leave God out of it. You imply there's something there, but you don't argue for the God of the Bible. Do you tithe consistently and share generously? Have you ever tithed knowing that you might run low on money before your next paycheck, yes or no? In the past three years, have you ever regretted giving a tither a gift? Now, this is not because you had second thoughts about who you gave it to. All of us have done that. But I'm talking about you regret it because you wish you had that money back. What was I thinking when I did that? In the past year, have you tithed 10% of your income regularly? Are you more than six weeks behind in tithing right now? Because we all fall behind at times, but not all of us always catch up. When we can forget something, and it is to our significant financial advantage, we tend to forget. Six, do you despise or detest God's correction? Have you ever sensed God's hand of correction upon you? That's a good question. Really, if you have never sensed God's hand of correction upon you, then you must question your faith. You must question whether you're truly walking with the Lord because you ought to feel his hand of correction upon you. Now, if when you sensed God's hand of correction upon you, did you feel angry? That's the second question. And then the next question, did you feel blessed? You might have felt both, but did you feel angry? Did you feel blessed? And the last question, are you pleased by the knowledge that God corrects those whom he loves, and specifically you? Are you pleased that God corrects you when he finds you at fault in something? Okay, I imagine everybody's finished because I went really slowly. Some of you might have struggled with some. But let's grade them. Now, this is not just a simple three points for one and negative one for another. Uh, I always have complex systems. And so this is a 100-point test. The maximum would be 75. The minimum would be negative 25. None of you are going to get 75 or 25, negative 25, I think. If you do, come and, come and see me because... <laughs> Because either you're like so saintly as to not you know, be like Enoch and walked with God and he was not for he took him, or you're the devil incarnate and we want to be warned about you. Okay. Everybody got it? Now comes the hard part, isn't it? Adding up all these numbers. And so you see that, that you have the sub, uh, each section has a little line so you can write your total there. Now remember, like a negative one and a positive one would offset so don't punish yourself for that. And yet you just kind of have to add up all the positive numbers and then subtract the negative numbers. That's the easiest way. So then uh, come up with your total. Now, I'm not gonna give you an A, B, C, or D, right? That's not my call, it's God's call. God, see for me, for us, this test, it's as objective as I could make it. It's hard to get a test to be very objective. Those of you that have been in some of the classes I taught know that. But God is entirely objective. Why? Because all subjectiveness is based on our finiteness and our sinfulness. It's based on not knowing everything, and it's based on also being wrong in some of the things we do think we know. So God, though, there is no subjectivity with God. God is entirely, entirely objective. So God knows our scores. We can cheat and lie and steal and, and brag to our friends that we scored a 75 on this test. God knows the truth. And so this is mostly about us all just taking this seriously. If we're willing to devote 10 or 15 minutes to this here in this room, we ought to take it seriously. And this will be posted on our website 
And so you could look back at it. If you want to print it, if you want to make up your own, do so. But yet, just like a runner or a high jumper, you need to beat your own score. And so work at it. We all think we're such good, wonderful Christians just because we know stuff. God is not impressed. He is not impressed with your knowledge. As Gary prayed earlier, make us doers of the word. And, and, I, and I'm not pointing at you, as they say. You know, I've got plenty of fingers pointing back at me. So, first, to emphasize, I want you to emphasize the blessings. You have a score for each of those sections. Notice the blessings that come to those that are doing what God wants in those sections. If you scored well, are you receiving those blessings? If you scored poorly, are you suffering with the lack of those blessings? Where can you improve? And are you willing to improve? Are you willing to work at it for God's glory? So now hopefully this exam has revealed areas of Improvement for you spiritually. I know it has me. I already mentioned I'm really, really weak in the section number two. We must not think because we're Christians, simply because we're Christians, that we're good Christians. Have you all seen that commercial where people walk around and there's this dollar number over their head? It's some financial investment thing. Everybody has this inherent net worth that is over their head. We are laying up treasure in heaven or not, there is an objective value of treasure you have laid up in heaven. And it differs. It's different than mine. I remember trying to convince a coworker back in the service about this, and he called me a communist. And he was so, he was so upset with communism. He hated communism. And, 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 oh, I'm sorry, I called him a communist, that's right. He thought we'd all be living in the same mansions. I said, you're telling me you're going to live in as nice a house as Moses in heaven? Well, maybe not. But yet he was, he was such a Russian hater. Now, this was back before the fall of Russia, of course, or the Soviet Union. And so I don't know if I shocked him into thinking differently, get rid of his socialistic beliefs about what heaven will be like, but heaven, you will be rewarded for your work here on the earth. Jesus tells us that, and it's being laid up now. So we are either doing it or we're not. But there's a dollar, a spiritual dollar value over us regarding what we're laying up in heaven. It has nothing to do with salvation, of course. That's all grace, grace, grace. But yet, we have our works on this earth destroyed, burned up by fire when it does not glorify the Lord. You don't want your works burned up. You want treasure in heaven when you get there. That's why I'm so anxious to get to heaven. It's going to be so cool. We cannot imagine what heaven is going to be like. It is not going to be boring. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your many blessings in our lives, and we pray, Lord, that we would serve you with the time we have on this earth, that we would not just serve ourselves. It has become so easy in the West, in the rich, rich West, in order to uh, have us Christians become fat and happy and sassy. So we pray, Lord, that you would uh, draw that out of us, that we would uh, take seriously what Solomon's advice was to his son, and that we would employ that in our own lives, in our own families, in our own churches. We give you thanks, Father, for your word and for your presence. In Christ's name, amen.